Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey, folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Lauren Cook. Oh, my God, should we call 911? And I was like, I'm fine, I shit my pants. <laughs> that and more. But before that, I just want to say, do you know about Amazon Original Stories? Risk has been co-producing some of these. Our latest one is called My Boy, Their Son by Mariah McCarthy. You can download it onto your Kindle. You can listen to it as an audiobook. It's about, I think, 40, 45 minutes long, and it is a beautiful, absolutely spectacular story. We have a whole collection of four other stories. It's called This Can't Be Happening, the This Can't Be Happening collection at Amazon. You don't want want to miss these. They are so beautiful. Some of these stories have been on risk before, but they're very much like rewritten and expanded with lots more layers and nuance and presented in a whole different way. So check it out at Amazon. They're called Amazon Original Stories. The latest one is My Boy, Their Son by Mariah McCarthy. And the rest of the collection is called This Can't Be Happening at Amazon. Now here's the show. Kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, this is Modesky, Martin, and Wood behind me now, and we are calling this week's episode Cleaning Up. These are three stories of people who got into very messy situations that they then were able to kind of clean up a bit. 
In a little bit, we're going to hear from someone I am so excited we finally have on the show, Christina Hutchinson, who is one half of the two hosts of Guys We Fucked. We've already had Corinne Fisher on the show. Man, she was amazing a couple years ago at the With Body in Brooklyn episode, but On today's episode, we have the other half of the Guys We Fucked hosting team. If you've never heard Guys We Fucked, it is one of the best podcasts out there. Great interviews, super open and raw. You'll hear a little bit about it in Christina's actual story as well. But we're going to start with a really special story that was shared at our Fort Lauderdale show that we did a couple weekends ago. Ryan Heller is a writer and an art director. He has a memoir called King of Stars, and you can find him at ryanheller.com. Here he is now at the Risk Live show in Fort Lauderdale with a story we call Season of the Witch. So it is 2010, I'm 26 years old, and I completely black out in a Marshall's dressing room. So I had heard that if you take a fentanyl pain patch and rip it open, you can eat the like jelly contents that's inside of it and get really fucked up. So I thought that this was an awesome idea. Earlier that day, I went to my dealer's house And I call this man my dealer, but he was actually this really cute little old man that I had met after posting an ad in the male-for-male casual encounter section of Craigslist looking for drugs, because that's where I was at that point in my life. So I go to his house, and I buy this fentanyl pain patch. I put it on, and then I decide that it's time to go to Marshall's and go shopping, because why not? I'm in the dressing room at Marshall's, and I figure this is the perfect time to test this theory. So I take off the pain patch, and I start trying to rip open the patch, and they do not make this very conducive to opening. So I'm like teeth into it, I'm pulling it, and I'm prying it, and finally I take like a a safety pin that was on one of the hang tags, and I start picking at the foil packaging to try to get some kind of leeway. So I start now peeling back the foil, and the next thing I know, I am face first in this pain patch, licking it clean. And the last thing I remember is that taste of the chemical going down the back of my throat. And that's it. Blackout. I woke up two days later in my bed with absolutely no idea what had transpired in that time. So I start trying to piece together fragments of my life like a bad dream. And finally, I I look at my phone and I see all of these missed text messages from an unknown number. So I look at the messages and it's from a woman who tells me that she comes from a long line of gypsies. 
and she and I had met in the shoe department of Marshalls, and apparently we really bonded over a pair of red Nikes, which were now sitting in my closet. So she says that when we were together, she could sense a curse inside of me, and she could help me with this curse if I wanted. Now, I've always loved magic. I've been surrounded by the mystical my whole life, whether tarot card readers or psychics or mediums. So for this woman to tell me that she's a gypsy and I have a curse that she can help me with, I mean, this was like striking gold. And to be perfectly honest, at that point in my life, I felt cursed. Because I was in the midst of a 14-year drug addiction. I was unbelievably lonely, depressed, and I had just come out of a three-year extremely toxic relationship where me and this guy, when we met, the thing that bonded us was the fact that we had both just been arrested for a DUI and were serving probation. So when I have a woman telling me that she's a gypsy and can cure me of my shit. Well, I was at her house in a day. So this house that this woman lived in, it was like a two-story, huge waterfront home on Fort Lauderdale Beach. And for me, coming from, I was living in like a shitty two-bedroom duplex with three roommates. This home, it was like the epitome of success. It was everything that I wanted. So she was clearly doing something right. She could help me. So the door opens, and there's a blonde woman standing there. And she tells me that she is the sister of the gypsy who I had met. She too is a gypsy, and she sees the curse inside of me as well, and she'd be able to help. So she invites me to come in the house. I walk in, and she proceeds to sit me at like this round breakfast table in the dining room. And I sit, and she plops this like Bible thick, like all I can say, it's like the equivalent of like a gypsy home shopping network catalog in front of me. And she says, okay, you need to pick one thing from this catalog, and this is the object that will help cure you of your curse. So I'm leafing through, and it's got all the stuff that you would expect to be in this catalog, like talismans and crystals and candles, all the stuff that I have in my house today, by the way. And I see, I see this really beautiful, ornate, carved candle, and I say, that's it. This is the object. And she says, oh, that is the perfect object for you. It's $300. And I'm like, oh, wait, I, so I was working a really crappy graphic design job for like a gay trash magazine making like minimum wage. So in no way could I possibly afford a $300 candle. And so I'm asking her, what's another option? And she says, you have one other way. We could perform a ritual. And the best part about this ritual is it's free. So I'm like, sign me up. You tell me what to do and I will do it. So she gives me this list of instructions and she says, one, 
you need to go to the bank and empty all the money out of your bank account. (laughs) Two, you have to go home, find a glass jar, and then wrap all your money around this jar. And then fill the jar with water, put an egg inside the jar, and then take your favorite article of clothing and sheath it around this jar with the money and put it under your bed for one week and then come back. So I'm out of there. I go straight to the bank. I take out all the money from my bank account, which was like 630 something dollars. That's all the money I had to my name then. I go immediately home. I find the perfect mason jar. I fill it with water. I wrap the money around the jar. I put the egg inside and I take my favorite t-shirt. And this was, this was truly my favorite t-shirt because I got it when I was thrift store shopping in high school. And it said the spike across from it. And I could never understand why old creepy men would ask me what a cute thing like me was doing wearing a shirt like that until I found out that the spike was this like gay S&M club in New York in the 80s. So it was like my favorite shirt. <laughs> so I, I wrap it, I sheath it around the jar and I place it under my bed for one week. And then a week goes by and I take the jar to the house and I knock on the door. And this time the door slowly opens and there is a different woman standing there. And it's this older, very stoic, kind of stern-looking woman with dyed dark hair And she says, hello. She has this like gypsy accent like this. Hello. I am the mother. I am the high gypsy priestess. And only I can cure you of your curse. Come in. And I'm like, okay. I've got the high gypsy priestess. I'm set. So I go in and she walks me through the kitchen and the dining room and into the laundry room, which I say laundry room, but it's like the size of my bedroom at that time. It was huge. And there's two stools. She sits on one stool and I sit on the other and she hands me a blindfold and she takes the jar from me and she begins to explain You have a very dark curse in you. There's a demon inside of you that has been following you from lifetime to lifetime. And it will continue to follow you into the next lifetime unless we cure you of this curse today. And I'm like, oh my God. Whatever you tell me to do, I will do. Just get rid of the demon. So she tells me to put on the blindfold, and I put on the blindfold. And suddenly it gets really quiet. And then I hear her start talking in these languages that I had never heard before, like, and then she starts like, 
patting my legs a little bit, you know, like patting me down. And then she begins to go a little bit like crazier with it, like, and the patting gets like a little bit stronger. And she starts like hitting my chest and beating me. And then she's like, and I am like, by this point, vibrating. My body feels alive and I am hot and I am sweating. And I don't know if I'm excited or scared. And then she starts like hitting my face and it gets absolutely insane. And the next thing I know, then she's spitting at me. She's like, and I'm like covered in gypsy spit. And it's this amazing, crazy crescendo. And then it gets quiet. And she tells me to take off the blindfold. So I take off the blindfold and she's holding up the jar and in the jar is like this yellowish red bloody color with like a fleshy fatty thing floating inside of it that kind of looked like chicken breast with like a bone and uh, like a wad of hair like something you would pull out of your shower drain and I'm like what is that? And she says, it is the demon. I pulled it from out of you and I trap him in the jar. And the only way to keep the demon in the jar is to keep the money and the jar here with me for one week. And then you come back and I give it to you. And I'm like, wait a minute, whoa. Suddenly something feels a little off. You know, like, all of a sudden, it feels a little strange to me. And I'm like, you want me to leave all of my money with you? She says, yes. And I'm looking at the demon, and I'm like, I don't know. It doesn't really look like a demon to me, and kind of looks like chicken breast. And, and I could swear that I saw a pack of open supermarket chicken breast sitting on the washing machine and this really pisses her off and she goes, get out! And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. <sighs> okay. Because at this point, this was everything to me. You know, like this was my chance to change my life. So I agree to leave her the jar with my money, my favorite t-shirt, and I leave with the intention to come back in one week. And a week goes by, and I show up very eager to her house, and I knock on the door, and there's no answer. So I knock on the door again, and there's no answer. So I peek through the window, and that house has been vacated. It was empty. There was no one there. There was not even a stitch of furniture. They had either moved or the gypsy gods had come and plucked them off the face of the earth. But I felt like the biggest asshole. I mean, more than that, any chance, any hope that I had, that my life was going to change, was gone. I mean, my heart dropped. I had nothing. I was broke, and I went home. 
Eight years go by, and I am telling this story to a friend, and we're laughing about it because it's ridiculous. I mean, it, it, is, it is ridiculous that I agreed to do any of that. It's ridiculous that I literally gave these people my money, right? And then all of a sudden, like, <laughs> this light bulb goes off in my head, and I say to my friend, you know, it's really weird. I ended up applying for a job like three months after my exorcism. <laughs> and I got that job, and it's still, eight years later, my career today. I'm still with that job. And then these little flashes go off in my head, like constellations that begin to connect. And I say to my friend, God, it's really funny. The guy who interviewed me for that job turned out to be my future husband, who we've been together for eight years. We've been married for three. We have two adorable twin, yeah, yeah. We have two adorable, beautiful twin babies. And then exactly one year after my exorcism, I went to rehab and got sober and have been sober ever since. So yeah, but now I cannot help but wonder if that crazy gypsy mama actually pulled like a chicken breast demon from out of me. Thank you. a mom who is bipolar and that has greatly affected my choice to become a professional comedian for a living you know looking back at my childhood there's a lot of moments where there are these indicators of like you know what I think my mommy's different from all the other kids mommies and um, a lot of times like in my stand-up I'll ask the audience if there's anybody in the crowd that like, has a parent with a mental illness and, and there'll be one or two people in the back being like, woo, we're okay. <laughs> I'm fine. Okay. <laughs> Maybe if I scrub the counter hard enough, mommy will smile. <laughs> oh, too real? Too bad. That was my fucking life. But there's, there's these indicators of like, 
I think my mommy's different from the other kids' mommies. The first indicator that I can remember is when I was in kindergarten. My kindergarten teacher had this very sweet idea. Friday before Mother's Day, she took our whole class down to this local radio station in our town. We were all supposed to go live on air, say our first names, and then say two things our moms like to do in their spare time. And it was just going to loop all weekend for Mother's Day. I was very excited. Parents got letters sent home. It was a big deal. I was like, radio debut, bitch. I was very thrilled. So we get to the radio station, and there's a bunch of fucking losers in front of me. This kid goes, "Uh, my name's Billy, and my mom likes to take me to the zoo and make me peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And the girl in front of me was like, my name's Susie, and my mom loves braiding my hair and pushing me on the swings. I'm like, get the fuck out of my way. That's sloppy. You guys are selfish. And I take the microphone. I'm like, hi, my name's Christina Marie Hutchinson. Said all the names. Shouldn't have done that. And my mommy loves to lock herself in her room and take really long naps. <laughs> and then everyone was looking at me all uncomfortable, so I got nervous. I kept going. I'm like, she also likes to cut her own hair. Um, sometimes she brushes my hair way too hard, and I should be the one crying, but she's the one crying. And my teacher had to pull me away from the microphone by the back of my shirt. And I listened to all the other kids go, and I was like, okay, yeah, no, maybe that's, that's a little weird. Yeah, that's not what all the other kids' mommies were doing at all. My mom and I were always very close, but as I grew older, I realized there was a lot of topics that we just could not talk about, and sex was at the top of that list. I'll never forget the night she found out I wasn't a virgin anymore. I was 16. She took me out to eat at this restaurant. She knew I had a boyfriend at the time that I adored, so she came into this conversation, guns ablaze, and she looks me in the eye, and she's like, Christina, you're still a virgin, right? And the thing was, like, I wasn't, and... Um, <laughs> And I, I really didn't want to lie to my mother, so I looked down at the floor, and in a very meek tone, I was just like, um, no. And my mom stands up out of her chair, storms out of the restaurant, and drives away. And I kind of was developing my sense of humor at that point, so I would make jokes to myself, and I was like, all right, so we good? Cool. All right, see you later, Nance. Awesome. And I had to call my dad to drive me home. And I remember the, the night before I moved away to college, my mother was a wreck. She was this anxious mess. Um, I feel like she was just so terrified that I was moving away to a place that she couldn't protect me or know what I was doing. And she started an argument with me uh, about some bullshit reason. And uh, she ended up, we ended up in a screaming match and she storms out of my house and starts walking down the street as I'm trying to pack the van. And she's like scream crying and then she just disappears into the darkness. I'm like, all right, she'll be back. I've done this dance before. And a couple hours later, she still wasn't back. And my dad and I, we tried to look for her. We would call her cell phone and she wasn't picking up. And so we decided to call the cops, which was scary. And uh, eventually a family friend had called our house. And she's like, hey, you know, I'm on the phone with your mom. I'm going to patch her in, but please don't say anything. I feel like she's going to hang up if she knows that you're on the phone. And she patches my mom through and my mom's just bawling her face out, crying. Like, she doesn't need me anymore. I can't help her anymore. She has her father. She doesn't need me. She kept repeating, she doesn't need me anymore. And the friend goes, Nancy, where are you? And she's like, I'm at the train tracks. And that's when I broke my silence. And I was like, Mom, I picked the phone up. I'm like, Mom, Mom, I love you. I love you so much. Please come home. I don't know where you are, but we need you to come home, okay? I need you. I'm going to call you every day. It's going to be okay. And I heard the whistle of a train in the background. And it kept getting closer and closer and closer. And I just kept going, Mom, Mom, Mom. And then I just heard her scream. And the train went by. And I dropped the phone And I ran out of my house, and I was looking for her, and I found her surrounded by a bunch of paramedics. 
and she was covered in blood. What happened was she slipped on a rock and she fell and she cut her head open. And I was holding her hand in the back of the ambulance and she opened her eyes and she looked around her and I just saw this wave of disappointment wash over her face like she was just so pissed she was still alive. And then the next day, I moved to Penn State. <laughs> Yay. Um, I moved away to college. I called her every day. We talked every other day, at least. Not about that night, but about everything else. The next year, I decided I wanted to transfer colleges, and I got admitted to Marymount Manhattan College, school right here in the city. And my mom expressed to me that she wanted to help my dad and I move me into my dorm room. And I was like, I don't think that's a good idea. You know, maybe she got to kind of stay home, be with the dog, whatever. But she felt like she really wanted to go. So I was like, yeah, you know what? Absolutely. If you want to help, be my guest. And, you know, she's helping me move in all day. She's yelling at me about taking self-defense classes. She bought me a can of pepper spray. She was trying to teach me how to use it. And she was just lecturing me all fucking day about don't drink alcohol. Don't get in a stranger's car. Don't go out at night. And I was just like, mom, I got it. I got it. I'm good. Okay. And then that set her off again. And she got into this huge screaming match with my father. And she eventually, she was like, you know what, Edward? Fuck it. I'm going to walk home. And she storms out of my dorm room building and just walks down the street of Manhattan towards, I guess, Pennsylvania, because that's where we lived. <laughs> and I, and I, I was just like, I just started crying. I was like, Dad, I can't take this anymore. She keeps doing this to me, and it's really hard. And my dad, I was like, it's going to be okay. She'll be back. And then a couple hours later, she came back. She came back to my dorm room, yelled at me a couple more times about using the pepper spray, and then they left. They sped off, and this girl, this beautiful blonde mermaid-haired girl named Ashley had a room on my dorm room floor, and she kind of sensed that I was having a really shit day, so she comes up to me, and she's like, oh my God, my friend was a friend who was a cousin who's a club promoter. Do you want to like pregame in my dorm room tonight and go out? And I was like, for the love of God, yes. <laughs> and so fast forward Five hours later, Ashley and I are dressed in our least stained Forever 21 dresses. <laughs> and it is a Friday night in New York City. We're in the meatpacking district, and we enter into Club Marquee. And this place was wall-to-wall packed. There was music bumping. I've never seen anything like this in my life. There were, like, women in bikinis walking by with bottles of champagne on a tray that were on fire. <laughs> and we were drinking, and we were dancing, and I felt so free for the first time and I remember I looked over to my right at one point and Ashley is making out with the lead singer of Nickelback Chad Kroger <laughs> and I was like this is the best night of my fucking life <laughs> I was like this is living this is living and then uh, one of the guys club promoter friends he comes out to us and he's like you girls having fun we're like yeah he's like you girls uh, you girls like karaoke and we're like oh my god we love karaoke and he's like alright follow me so her and I we follow this guy outside of this club and he leads us to his car I go to Ashley I'm like hey is this a good idea Rick I don't know if we should be doing this right like I don't know who he is and Ashley's like I fucking love karaoke Christina we're getting in and she gets into the front seat of the car and I was like well at this point I don't want her to get raped and murdered so I get into the back of the car and then we're driving and we're driving and we're driving we're driving for a while and I noticed that we start going over a bridge. And I'm like, you know, I've only lived here for about 12 hours, but I'm pretty sure we're leaving the island. And so I asked the guy, I'm like, excuse me, sir, like, could you tell me what bar we're going to? So I, I, may, I have some friends who want to meet up with us. And he's like, oh, no, no, we're not going to a bar. We're going to my house. I have a karaoke set up in my living room. It's pretty chill. I'm like, no, I don't think that's a good idea. 
you know, um, actually, I don't really feel good. Could you take us home? Because I feel like I'm going to throw up and I don't want to puke in your car. And then he got really pissed and he kept going, we're going to sing karaoke. You're going to sing one song. He kept repeating that. Just one song and I'll let you guys go. And I was like, mm, that's kidnap language, sir. I don't know if I'm very comfortable with that. And Ashley was like, chill the fuck out, Christina. Just one song. I'm like, I really need you on my team here. <laughs> so we keep driving and I take out my cell phone and I dial 911 and I just have my thumb nervously hovering over the send button. And I was like, I don't know if I should call or like what to do. And I was so pissed I didn't bring my fucking pepper spray. And we pull up to a freestanding house. I don't know where the fuck we are, but it's in the suburbs. Ashley gets out of the car, and she's like, oh my God, this house is so cute, and runs into the guy's front door. I'm like, okay, so I run after her, and I push her into the bathroom. I'm like, dude, I don't think this is a good idea. I think we should leave. I look down, my phone just died. She's like, oh my God, my phone just died too. Twins. I'm like, that's not a good thing. Um, shouldn't be very excited about that. I'm like, I think maybe we should like jump out the window. Like, I don't know what to do. And the guy kept pounding on the bathroom door. And she's like, just sing like one song or sing. It's going to be fine. I'm like, okay. So we open the door. This guy meets us with two microphones. He hands them to us. And he has a hand on each of our lower backs and is pushing us into his living room. It's pitch black, only lit by the karaoke machine screen. And he puts on Don't You Wish Your Girlfriend Was Hot Like Me by the Pussycat Dolls. And he goes, sing. I don't know if you guys have ever sang that song, Crying, but uh, let me tell you, did not think that that was in the cards for me. The song starts, and we're like, Ashley's finally starting to get terrified. I'm like, thank God, bring me down with you, girl, come on. And uh, and we start the song, we're like, I know you want me, I know you do. And right before it gets to the chorus, he puts his head in between our heads, and he yells, sing! And we're like, don't you wish your girlfriend was hot like me? And we sang the whole song, scream crying. And at the end of the song, he walks to his front door, and he opens it, and he goes... All right, see you later. And we fucking left. I don't know how we got home. I do have no recollection of getting a cab. I don't think I had any money on me. All I remember is I woke up in my dorm room and I was like, thank God I didn't get murdered. Because like, if I got murdered, my mom definitely would have found out what I did and she would have been so fucking mad. And uh, cut to, you know, f- about five years later, I'm still living in New York City. And my mom and I's relationship, is it's close, but there's still a lot of tension there. And um, I had met my now comedy partner, Corinne Fisher, and, um, and we had been working together for a few years. And one day she texts me, she's like, oh my God, I have this idea for our next project. She was in the middle of like this terrible breakup. And she's like, we should just interview every guy we've ever fucked. We'll do it for a podcast. We'll call it Guys We Fucked. I'm like, oh my God, that's fucking brilliant. Yes. And then that thought was immediately followed by like, Mother must never know about this. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, it's a fucking podcast. No one's going li- to I didn't think anyone was going to listen to it. And so we do this podcast, and it fucking takes off. It blows up. By six months in, we're getting interviewed by Vogue, Vanity Fair, Huffington Post called us the women changing the way we think about human sexuality, and, and we got a fucking TED Talk out of it. And like, I am so excited about this career success that I just had no idea was even in the cards for us. And the whole time I was like, I don't want my mom to know. And I was trying really hard. I was living in a lot of fear that my mom would one day find out. I blocked her on all my social media. I had to block all of her friends. I knew she didn't know what a podcast was, but just to be safe. And I remember my brother one day finds out about it because some of his friends had listened. And he talked to me about it. He's like, that's a great idea. I'm never going to listen to it, but it's a great idea. Better make sure mom never finds out. 
And I was like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> a couple months later, I get a text from my brother, and all it says is, she knows. And I'm like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. And I have this like argument with myself out loud. I'm like, I'm a grown-ass woman. I could do whatever I want. She's going to kill me, but I'm a grown-ass woman, man. You could do whatever you were experiencing, like this crazy career success, but she's going to fucking kill me. And I was just like crippled with fear. And I gave it a week before I called her. And finally, I talked to her on the phone, and she's in tears. She's a mess. She's crying. She's disappointed. She's in shock. She's like, how could you? I didn't even know you talked like that. I'm like, All right, well, you know, you don't know a lot of things about me, Ma. I talked to her for about three hours, and I was really trying to convince her, and I was putting my foot down a little bit, standing up for myself for the first time. I'm like, Mom, this podcast is not just some vulgar thing. Like, it's really changing people's lives. We've heard... We get emails from people all around the world about how they can talk to their partner or their family or their friends about situations that happened to them that they never thought they would ever be able to say out loud. And it's, it's really changing people's lives. And I forwarded her some of these emails. And in the biggest 180-degree turn I have ever witnessed in a human being, Corinne and I end up sitting down with my mother and interviewing her on Guys We Fucked. <laughs> And I couldn't believe that she was sitting in front of me and we got to talk about all of this shit that I never thought I would be able to tell her without her crying and running out of my house. And she started telling me these stories about when she was growing up, about how when she was 11 years old, she appeared to be a grown woman. She was six feet tall, blue-eyed, blonde hair, thin frame, looked like a supermodel. And then she started telling me that... um, Starting when she was 11, she was sexually assaulted by three different men on three different days and three different occasions. And I never knew that about her. And then that's when it finally set in, like she had been acting out of fear this entire time. She openly admitted that to me on the podcast. And and we, we had this beautiful interview with her. And I knew she would have gone to the grave without ever telling me any of that. My brother didn't know about it. My dad didn't know about it. She had kept that inside of her this whole time. And our relationship now is so much deeper and real and pure and there's no topic that we can't talk about and I'm never afraid to go to her with anything and it's just this relationship with my mother that I've always dreamt of that I just never thought was possible in this world. And that interview just felt like a spinal adjustment for my soul. And I always had this theory that we're all walking around with so much pain inside of us And a lot of times we'll project that pain out into the world. And that's what my mom was doing this whole time with me. And I was so hurt and confused by it. But then when she finally was able to tell me what it was that she was so afraid of, I felt like 800 pounds lifting off of my shoulders. And I came across this quote on Instagram the other day that really articulated that concept beautifully. The quote was, if you don't heal what hurt you, you'll bleed on people who didn't cut you. Thank you very much. Thank you.
This is Risk. This is Jacob Dylan and Fiona Apple covering the Beach Boys here. And we just heard from Christina Hutchinson. Like I said, you have to look up. Guys, we fucked. It's one of the best, most sex positive and just, you know, interesting, emotionally open interview sort of podcast out there. Corinne and Christina have, well, they've interviewed me. <laughs> Go check out my episode. Before that, we heard a little interstitial from our episode editor, Jeff Barr. And now I want to tell you about how you don't have time to be going to the post office, but Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. Post Office right to your computer. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. With Stamps.com, you get five cents off every first class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. You're saving time and money no wonder over 700,000 small businesses already use Stamps.com. We use Stamps.com at Risk and the Story Studio, and we've always loved it. And right now, our listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Risk. That's Stamps.com. Enter Risk. Our final story on this week's episode comes to us from Lauren Cook. Oh my God, I am such a big fan of Lauren's. She has been amazing when she's done the show. Now, this was recorded in Los Angeles. The last time Lauren did the show was here in New York. You can find her at lauren-e-cook.com or on Twitter, just at train. Here is Lauren now at the Risk Live show in Los Angeles with a story we call Pussy control. Hello, I'm Lauren. Um, I have I have a two year old baby girl. Her name is Olive. And um, this story is a little bit about her tonight. I look at her and it's so strange. It's so bizarre because I love her a lot. Um, I do. (laughs) I really, really love her. But I hated every moment of my pregnancy with her more than I've hated anything in my whole life. And it's hard to talk about that. It really is. Um, It's getting a little easier, thanks to Ali Wong. Um, But people, true life, true life, people really want you to be very sanctimonious and respectful about this miracle that's growing inside you. Because it is, right? It is. It's a miracle growing inside you. Um, And it's a huge gift, and what a blessing. And... um, (laughs) I chose this, I know, blah, blah, but truly, like, this pregnancy was more torturous than anything I could have imagined. I, as a lot of people do, I had uh, morning sickness, morning, noon, and night, and I had headaches, and I had something that I had never even heard of called pregnancy-related rhinitis, which is when you have a cold because your body's actually, like, allergic to being pregnant. Um, 
But it's a cold, like most people get a really bad cold. You can't breathe for three or four days max and you complain about it for a long time. It, it lasts months and you can't take anything. You can't take decongestant. I didn't know this. Nobody told me this. You can't take nasal spray. They give you those fucking stickers. The, do you know what I mean? That you put on your face. That's the only fucking thing they give you. It was dark. It was a really dark time. And I'm making a joke about it, but in all honesty, I was, I felt extremely lonely. And I just felt I would be in bed for days and days at a time. And I felt like I did not sign up for this. My life is getting narrower and narrower. And what coincided with this is my husband, who is my favorite person. He's an actor and a comedian, like most of us. And um, he, (laughs) he booked a role, like a big break role in, in a movie. And so his world just immediately at the exact same time started getting bigger and bigger and more exciting. And as happy as it was for him, I fucking hated him so much. <laughs> I wanted to murder him in his sleep. Um, the other thing that coincided with my pregnancy is that uh, truly the weekend that I found out I was pregnant was the Republican National Convention of 2016 when our country, the Republican Party nominated Donald Trump to be uh, their candidate. And I don't know if you guys will remember the details of this, but the keynote speakers at the Republican National Convention were, I have to look, his name was Willie Robertson from Duck's Dynasty, uh, Antonio Sabato Jr. from General Hospital, and Scott Baio from Charles in Charge. Things were looking fucking dark in every direction, man. I mean, this is a weird time to be alive. Even though none of this was my husband's fault, (laughs) we started going to marriage counseling. And by the way, I highly recommend therapy for for couples, for everybody. It was great for us. But at the time, our therapist felt that it was really important for me to have something positive to look forward to, anything, after the baby was born. And I don't know why we chose what we chose. Wasn't the best idea, but the movie, this big movie that my husband was cast in, was going to premiere two and a half months after my due date. And so we thought, well, shit, the timing's pretty perfect. We could have, like, a really fun night. It's going to be this huge party. It's going to be, like, next-level fancy, fancy clothes, all the shit we've never done before. Yes, it would be celebrating his ever-broadening world. (laughs) Um, But we would also celebrate the fact that we got through this, this crazy... I was about to say, I was going to, yeah. Uh, (laughs) We got through pregnancy and keeping a baby alive for two months. Okay, great. We had a plan. I had a light at the end of the tunnel. It was far, far away, but it was there. Um, Unfortunately, everything just kept getting so much worse. So the second trimester was easier than the first, but the third trimester of my pregnancy, boom, nausea back like with a vengeance and so I had to take this drug called Zofran I don't know if anybody's familiar with it but it's one of the few drugs that if you have bad enough nausea your doctor will prescribe it unfortunately it made me very constipated and so on Christmas Eve I was so constipated that I drank three cups of smooth move tea and on Christmas morning I woke up at my aunt's house we're not terribly close We're sort of like strangers. And I realized that my ass was going to explode. And I started running. And I fell down a flight of stairs. And I shit my pants. 
and the one thing that makes everyone within earshot come running is if a pregnant woman falls down a flight of stairs. So instantly, there were eight people who were like, oh my God, should we call 911? What did it? And I was like, I'm fine, I shit my pants. <laughs> that was Christmas morning. Uh, the other thing that got worse, obviously, is our world fell apart because Trump won. This fucking asshat beat the first woman in American history to be nominated, and he did it by running the most racist, misogynistic, fear-inducing campaign imaginable, and it fucked me up. I mean, I know it fucked most people up, but it really fucked me up, especially because I knew I was carrying a girl. And so when we had to hear that tape, that fucking tape over and over again about how much he loved grabbing pussy, I truly started feeling like he was telling me he was going to grab my daughter's pussy. And I started losing it. I mean, it really, like, start, what became unhinged. I was one of those people who was, like, not sleeping. I was staying up all night, like, trying to perfectly phrase this comeback to some friend of a friend's post on Facebook who was a Trump supporter. I mean, I was not well, and I didn't realize it in the moment, but I was, I started carrying around this white hot rage with me everywhere I went. On the day that I went into labor, in fact, I was walking my dog around my neighborhood, and um, it was a very, very early labor when you're supposed to move. They tell you to move to keep things going. So I'm walking my dog, trying to surrender, go with the flow and all that shit, and We come upon this older waspy woman who's very thin, a lot of plastic surgery, really rich, like I go to Vail, I have a house in Vail type vibe, and she has two massive dogs, and they outweigh her by a lot. And one of these dogs somehow like breaks free of its leash and starts just lurching towards me and my huge belly and my, my dog, who's like smaller and sort of a beta female. In this moment, dog etiquette, all you're waiting for is for the woman to say, don't worry, he's friendly, you know, like, that's what you, that's what you do. She didn't do that. She didn't give the fucking woman in labor, she didn't throw me a bone at all. She just was like, I don't, she just looked lulish. She was like, my maid's not here, I don't know what to do. And so I'm pulling my dog fully, like, by her neck, trying to save her life, and I, it just came out of me. I said, get your fucking dog. Well, she was appalled at my choice of language. And she literally, like, she had a moment. She was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me with that language? That is so unnecessary. And I just felt like the the rage that had been building and building inside me and this sort of shitty conservative force. You know, it was like this judgment, like, are you going to talk to your child with that kind of foul mouth? And it... It just blurted out. I just go, eat my ass. <laughs> and then I walked about 10 feet away and I had to get down on all fours because I was having a contraction in a neighbor's yard. <laughs> Eventually I made it home. Um, but you know how when you have like a public outburst and you're a little bit embarrassed and you keep replaying the thing you said? over and over in your head. Well, for the next 24 hours of labor and delivery, I was just repeating, eat my ass, over and over again in my head. Um, So I'm saying, what I'm telling you is my daughter was 
basically born into a cloud of rage. <coughs> Luckily, she was perfect and smiley and charming, and she still is perfect and smiley and charming, but I do have to admit that all the problems that I thought would go away the minute that my baby was outside of my body and the complete indignity of my body behaving like a monster body, none of that went away. It just got so much worse. And then the devastating news cycle obviously didn't get better. There was Trump immediately okaying the Dakota Pipeline, the Muslim travel ban, the constant effort to repeal Obamacare, withdrawing from the Paris climate deal, signing a bill that made it easier for mentally ill people to get guns, signing another bill that made it harder for transgender students to use the bathroom they wanted to use, just to mention a few things, plus sleep deprivation and breastfeeding, which is the hardest task. None of that went away. It just all got so much worse, but I still had this bizarre plan, like this date to go to this premiere. <laughs> and I was desperately holding on to that date because it would mark kind of my complete return to myself, to feeling like me again a little bit, two and a half months after I had my baby, just to snap back, just thought that was enough time, it's not enough time. Um, but also truly it was marked in my brain as like just a night to have fun, to relax and have, have a fun night out. Because my husband had a lot of work leading up to this premiere, he actually had to go out of town for the first time and left me alone with this two and a half month old infant and then he was gonna come back and we would immediately go to this premiere. During this span of three days, three important things happened. One, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be intimate with you guys and tell you, um, <laughs> I just made it so weird, shit. <laughs> I don't wanna tell you anymore. <laughs> uh, okay, so I got my first period postpartum, which is, if you're not a woman who's had a baby, which like I'm guessing there's two maybe at tops in this room um it's gnarly it's like not it's not a chill experience and it's way it's supposed to happen much later like for it to happen two months after you've had your baby that's really early it's absurd and it's like a slasher movie <laughs> you know there's like a lot of blood it's not fun for anybody the second thing that happened to me my dog got a yeast infection my dog got a yeast infection. Like, what? I didn't know that could happen. What that meant for me was that I first had to find her little dog vagina, which is really hard to find. I don't know how, how often you guys have looked for your dog's vagina. But I had to swab it with a medicated wipe, and then I had to open her little dog labia and apply a medicated powder just deep in there. And I had to do that twice a day. The third thing that happened, my daughter, my human daughter, got some crazy, really bizarre-looking diarrhea, um, which is not at all uncommon. Like, infants, they have a lot of food sensitivities, so you might eat cheesecake, and then your baby drinks your breast milk, and like it's like green, yellow, liquid shit for days. <laughs> Anyone who was, like, debating having a baby, it's like, I'm really glad you came to hear this story today. <laughs> but the problem with that, with, like, crazy green and yellow diarrhea is that for the little girl, like, those two parts are right, right there. They're right next to each other. So what I'm telling you is that these three days were so defined <laughs> by vaginas for me. It was, I was elbow deep in pussy, my own included. Um, if I was not 
putting medicine in my dog's vagina, I was very carefully taking gross yellow shit out of my daughter's vagina. It was too many, you know? Arguably, it was like too many vaginas. But as I'm going through this process of cleaning and healing and nursing pussies back to health, I felt like I was healing myself. Like, I found some sort of awareness. Like, I was born for this task. I was getting better at everything. I just felt more capable, more empowered. Like, I'm not only managing, I am good at taking care of these ladies and myself, of nursing these pussies back to health. Um, It made me feel like I was ever so slowly getting better at everything about being a mom and about being a person on earth during such a chaotic and hateful time. And I felt like if I could do this, I can do anything. And then, so just like a day later, it was the day of the premiere, and I'm totally feeling good about myself. I'm like patting myself on the back because I have all my shit lined up and I'm feeling really confident. Like I'm gonna have, finally gonna have a night out. I'm gonna have a fun night out. My hair was good, I had a dress that was good, I had a sitter coming, I had pumped enough milk. This is is happening. So I sit down with my snack, I'm gonna have a little snack, I had a kind bar, at an hour and a half before I had to start doing like lashes and spanks and all that stuff. And I take a moment and I take that bite of that kind bar and my front tooth fell out. It was, there was no, this is a cap. So I've had a cap on this tooth for, for a long, long time. There's nothing underneath it. And, it. and it came right off. And I'm looking in the mirror and I look ridiculous. This is not the look that I was going for. I'm like, oh, fuck no. This is not how I am going down right now. I call my dentist. Of course, she's not in her current office. She's in an office farther away. I throw my, this baby that I like have barely taken out of the house. I throw her in the baby carrier. We haul ass to North Hollywood. I don't know why they call that North Hollywood. It's so far from North Hollywood. I have no idea where I'm going. I, I literally park very far from the office and I'm like, have my phone. The stupid carrier, they're so heavy with these baby carriers. I run six lanes across like very, very <laughs> heavy traffic, speeding traffic with this baby, just crying, just like, my death fell out, my death fell out. <laughs> Meanwhile, my baby is being just like a perfect angel. She was on the floor in the carrier as they glued. I mean, they saw the look in my eye of panic. They were like, every other patient's got to wait. They glue this tooth back on. The baby's asleep. The baby sleeps as I haul her three, six lanes of traffic back across. We get in the car, get home, get my fat ass in those spanks and in that dress, get those fucking lashes on, and I make it to the event. This event that has nothing to do with me, but feels like it does. And I feel so lucky to be there. And this movie was incredible. And we were so lucky to be a part of it. My husband was lucky. And we just had, like, truly the best night. And I just realized, like, that's what life is now. <laughs> life is never going to be what it was before. This is life. It's always, there's always going to be a wrench. Like, there's always going to be green shit. And somebody's pussy has to be cleaned out. And... <laughs> Somebody will be missing a tooth. That's, that is my life now, but I'm actually okay with it. I feel capable. I feel better. And I am um, 
Well, the other thing, ah, damn it. There also is always like this shitty news cycle. Uh, Just the other day I read it could take two years for the government to identify all the migrant children separated from their families at our border. Damn, that made my vagina hurt. It hurts so bad to hear that. Ow. But 2020 is not that far away and we can hope things will get better. And my daughter is the light of my life. She is like, she is teaching me so much. She is concentrated joy. And now I'm pregnant again, which is the only reason I would wear overalls. (laughs) I mean, I like overalls, but like, that's why I'm wearing overalls right now. Um, And it's already so much easier. Like, I am fully equipped for this now. I think because of the pussy power. Um, I don't know if it was my dog's pussy juice. I don't know what it was, but it was like superhero shit. Um, I believe, though. I'm, like, ready. I'm ready to fight and believe in something better for all of us. Thank you so much. this week's episode of risk this is lizzo behind me now and we just heard from lauren cook don't forget you can always find new information about where the next risk live shows are happening at risk-show.com slash tour pitch us at risk-show.com slash submissions don't forget to buy the risk book it is great summer reading Don't forget to check us out on Patreon. We put so much bonus content on Patreon. Bonus stories, check-ins, all kinds of stuff. The ad-free versions of the podcast are there. Old remastered episodes from the first couple of years, 2009, 2010. That is all at patreon.com slash risk. And our school is at thestorystudio.org. Folks, Today's the day. Take a risk. Hey, what are you doing?
Sal McGundy, you may be right. 